Hi, and welcome to Veterinary Journal Club. We are having our fourth vet books, which is chapter three in Small Animal Critical Care Medicine, um, second edition. Uh, and so, yeah, we're like, look at this, churning through the book, man. We're already at chapter three. Yeah, we went two month break, and now we've already had. We're refreshed and ready for yeah. more. And I even have one in the bank from a long time ago. Oh, you still haven't put that one up? Which one? I don't remember yeah. what the topic was. I think the one about sleep deprivation. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we forgot that that's what it was. That's a good... Oh, yeah. We did kind of talk about like how do you manage sleep when you're working. Okay. Yeah. We should probably put that out there for people. Yeah. Um, but right now, we're doing Vet Book Chapter 3, Episode 4. We, we really should have <laughs> planned that <laughs> differently. Um, and so... I, I was thinking about, you know, what I want to do with this one, because this chapter three is CPR, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, um, doctors Fletcher and Bowler. And this is, let's see, how many, one, two, three, four, five, six, five and a half. No, mostly just five, five and a little bit. The rest of it is references. Um, and that's one of the longest chapters in the book. Yeah. And this is like a teeny tiny scratching the surface of CPR. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a big topic and a lot of pieces, um, to discuss. And so this is a really brief overview, really good. I mean, like these guys are, are really among the experts in veterinary CPR, um, in veterinary, in, in veterinary medicine, um, and two of the big drivers of, um, the recover initiative. Um, do you know what that is? No. Is that, um, when Jack does the, the punch? to the chest and lost and brings everybody back to life. <laughs> that's a precordial thump and that's not really a thing. Um, he did it like five times. Yeah. In seven seasons. It's a, he, Oh really? Well, I, there might be more seasons, but, but like he like repeatedly did it successfully. I'm pretty sure. Six, yeah. So the precordial thump is like this theoretical thing that anecdotally has been reported to work in the case where you I don't. I saw it happen. Yeah. On lost, which is, a very realistic documentary, actually. I think that mm -hmm. was a documentary. Yeah. Real, yeah, real stuff. Anyway. Uh, so manual defibrillation, essentially. That's what that is. Yeah. Yeah, he was a neurosurgeon. Oh, yeah. Neurosurgeons are definitely the experts in CPR and doing a precordial thump. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, anyway, the recover guidelines are, have nothing to do with that, oh, Okay, uh, but I I right. what it is, it's a, an initiative. Like, so in, in human medicine, there'll be like large groups of people that get together and they say, there's a topic that's really important and there's a lot of research out there and it's all over the place. And we need a group of people, large groups of people to comb through all that literature, to comb through all that research and pick it out and put it all together and like say, a meta analysis. Yeah, I. But like even bigger than that because it's over an entire topic, and so there'll be different domains. And so that was done. It's been done in human medicine, but they were like, we need to do it specific to veterinary medicine. And so the first recover guidelines. Oh gosh, when did those come out? A long time ago. Um, they're actually um, breaking news, <laughs> going through the second round. Actually, so we're trying to update. Um, this is spearheaded by um, ACVEC, the American College of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care Specialists. Yay. That's a fun <laughs> acronym. Um, uh, and these guys are a big part of that still. So like, this is, this is a good chapter. This is written by the experts on this. Um, but it's very condensed. <laughs> so uh, it, it is a good overview. Um, but if you are really wanting to, you know, know and understand more about CPR, going to the actual recover guidelines would be great. 
I guess a question that we haven't asked yet is what's the target audience for this book? Is it residents oh. or is it students? That's actually a like good and interesting question. So second year the student. So the first Prevet club first edition of the book, um, I think maybe they weren't sure who their audience was or, or if they did, the publishers were like, no, that's not who your audience should be. Um, so for the second book, the first book was, um, I, I really like the first edition. Um, I think it, it's really good. And yeah, I used it during my residency. It was a little more complicated. Yeah. And so for my residency, I like that. I went into more depth in some of the topics, but for the average person who's working in a clinic, you're like, I don't need to read about the physiology. I have a patient who's like dying right now and I, need, I just need some help and I need it to be quick and easy and not dumbed down. That's not, and that's not what they were attempting to do in this edition, but just to say, let's make this um, a, a, a useful reference, not for preparing for boards, but for practice emergency and critical care medicine. Um, And so this edition specifically, the goal was to target practicing veterinarians in emergency critical care. Like Mm -hmm. that's who it's for. So it's meant to be a reference for, Hey, I'm working, maybe, maybe I'm a a recent grad and I'm doing an internship or I'm picking up some relief shifts on ER. And this isn't necessarily, um, like my, Ooh, this is the, the, this this reference. So they would would have liked you to have graduated vet school if you're reading this book. They, say again? They would like to have had graduated vet school if you're reading this. Book. Not necessarily. I mean, I think it. Well, you know, if you're a first, if you're a first you... vet, first year vet student, you're going to struggle with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. But if you're like in your third, fourth year, you're in clinics and things like this. I think this could be a really good reference for a lot of stuff too. Some of it's going to be a little more advanced, but that's true of any book, right? Yeah. Um, but no, I think I think if you are approaching graduation, getting ready to, I think this from there beyond, it can be useful. Yeah. So if you had like a your ECC course. Mm-hmm. Do they have a book that they go by or you just tell This them? would be a good reference for that. Yeah. yeah. This would be a good reference. All so right. that was just an aside. I was like, oh, I don't know what this book is, who is meant for. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, just responding to a, a work. Always There's, working. I, yeah. Yeah. Always works life. too much. It's true. All right. Okay. CPR. So what do you know about CPR? Is on Lost, Jack just punches the guy and it works. That's the extent of your knowledge of CPR. Oh, and in Sandlot, it's how you get to kiss girls <laughs> without their permission, <laughs> oh which my is gosh. not right. <laughs> so how you can have non-consensual. Yeah, that's pretty messed up, actually, now that I think about yeah, it. There's there a couple of them. There's one where like someone was drowning, another one. He pretends to drown. Okay. Yeah, the little kid. Yeah, yeah. The, the glasses. What was his name? Yeah. Oh, Weeks? and there was the other, in old school, they have it. He, like Wilfer actually is getting CPR and he needs it. And then he starts making out with um, the three-name guy. Uh, what's his name? He's the in the American guy? Pie movies. The three-named guy? He's, get, he's like Scott Van Prep or something. What's his name? I don't know. Sean. His first name is Sean. Oh, Sean William Scott. Sean Scott, William Scott, Scott. Scott. Something like that. Yeah. Sean Scott. Yeah, and he's William giving him CPR names. and then Will Ferrell <laughs> kisses him and he, and he kicks him back into the pool. Oh. That's about what <laughs> your I know references. I love. I love that these are your references. They're not even like medical dramas <laughs> there's like random things like comedies and, and lost he's a neurosurgeon this is absolutely a medical reference he it's not a, but like er scrubs gray's anatomy like there's house really shows yeah no i know that's funny well and um sean whatever <laughs> sean william scott I sean william scott is. he has a petting zoo so he's probably a vet he has a petting zoo yeah he runs i'm pretty sure zoo. never in the history of petting zoos well 
Anyway, I'm pretty sure almost every vet so you has know, a petting zoo. So you whether know, they uh, <laughs> use it publicly or not. <laughs> so you know a lot about CPR. Yeah, is what what we're we're getting at here. So, um, so you know then that we often break it down into basic life support and advanced life support. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So ba- basic life support is what you would probably generally think about when you think of CPR, um, with the exception of on Lost, where the only CPR they apparently ever do is a precordial thump. But yeah. in basic life support, we're talking about chest compression. So that's the, the part you think about beating on the chest, but more than once, if you're going to do it properly, repeatedly, rhythmically, there's, there's, you know, features what, to it that are make it very music. important. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I edited that You remember that? Video. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Because I've I, edited a couple of your lectures on CPR. Right. I know a little bit more. That's right. I'm yeah, lying. you're playing. You're playing dumb. Yeah, you've done a lot of my... You helped me take a ton of videos. We did a bunch of like um, uh, instructional like videos of me doing chest compressions. Yeah, you know all this stuff, you big yeah. liar. All right, he's playing dumb for your benefit. Yeah. Um, so basic life support is chest compressions, breathing, like intubating them if possible and breathing for them. Um, and like, that's kind of the majority of it. So airway and breathing, ventilation, all that kind of stuff. The monitoring during CPR, this is like probably, I think the most important thing. Um, I mean, that's hard to say the most important thing. A very important part of CPR is understanding how you monitor your patient during CPR. And there's really only, there's two main things you need to think, think about. Is one and, of them entitled CO2? Yes. Gosh, you're so what? smart. You're so good at this. I just guessed. That is the most important thing. If you only have one monitoring tool for CPR, it should be entitled CO2. I have um, no idea what it is, but I know that's a word. Yeah, capnography. I didn't even know if I said it right. You did, and you totally did. Entitled CO2 or capnography. Um, so measuring the amount of carbon dioxide that the patient is um, is exhaling, essentially. The interesting thing, normally, in an awake, alive, not necessarily, in an alive patient, um, your CO2 tells you about your ventilation or how many breaths you're taking, basically gas exchange, um, how much CO2 are you exhaling. The problem is when you're dead, <laughs> it doesn't matter how many breaths you take or are being taken on your behalf through positive pressure mechanical ventilation um, because in the body, do you know where CO2 comes from? CO2 comes from your lungs? Nope. That's the, that's a lot of times what people think your lungs are actually just what allow it to leave the body, Mm -hmm. but you breathe in oxygen and that oxygen gets delivered to your cells. And then your cells taking the oxygen, go through cellular respiration. And the byproduct of that is CO2. Mm -hmm. And so it's happening in your tissues. But there's some fancy name for that, that everybody should know. That's a vet student. Cellular respiration. Oh, I I was listening like a, like a crib cycle or a blah, 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 phosphate. Yeah, there's all those things. All that. Yes, you okay. should know that. Just call it cellular respiration. That's fine. <laughs> Bring in O2, get rid of CO2 to make some ATPs and things like that. But that's happening at the tissues. So all the CO2 is just sitting there at the tissues. And how does it get to your lungs? Your blood? Yeah, good. <laughs> Through your blood flow. So if you're dead, what's your blood flow? Not very good. Yeah, it's, there is no blood flow in a dead patient by definition. Yeah. There's no blood flow. And so all that CO2, it, like, so if your heart stops beating, you are affected, like, very soon after that, you'd be considered dead. But your individual cells haven't died yet. Like, they're still going through their cellular processes. So there's still any oxygen they have. Um, they're going to, you know, create CO2 as a byproduct of that. Um they might even be undergoing some anaerobic metabolism. So, on. But all that CO2 is building up and it's sitting out at the tissues, just sitting there, 
not that can't go anywhere because there's no blood to bring it back to the lungs. The gas exchange that happens at the lungs happens passively just down a concentration gradient. So there's not a lot of CO2 in the air. There's very, very little CO2 in the air. Thank you, trees. Um, mm-hmm. and so there's like, you know, about 21% oxygen, um, but like less than 1% CO2. And so if there's comparatively a lot of CO2 in your blood that was, you know, uh, created, uh, or exchanged in your tissues, then it's like, oh, concentration gradient, lot on this side, none on that side. And so all the CO2 leaves. Um, so in a dead patient, if you can use some bellows to pump air through the lungs, the gas exchange will occur. The problem in a dead patient is that the CO2 isn't at the lungs because that requires blood flow to get it there. So all of that is meant to explain the, the, the point is monitoring CO2 the end tidal CO2 during CPR is telling you about perfusion because the CO2 is there. It's just out of the tissues. If I can get it back to the lungs, it will come out of the body. Like I, I will see it. So when I see a low end tidal CO2 in a dead patient, that's what I expect. It's zero. Unless if we start doing chest compressions, that number should climb. The better our compressions are, the more blood yeah, flow we are generating. The blood. Yeah. So we're trying to, it's never going to be as good as like a heart. It's going to, the heart is going to be better um, than me doing chest compressions, but I can kind of get a gauge for how good am I doing? Do I need to do better? Do I need to try harder? Do I need somebody else to step in for me? Or do we need to, um, you know, convert to open chest CPR or something else? So that is an important monitoring tool to kind of tell us like, how are we doing? The other thing it's really useful for is telling us if our patient likely has come back, like if the heart started beating again, because as I said before, a really crappy living heart is better than the best person doing chest compressions. Like, right. Cause you're, Pumping a broken pump. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not very so. good. Um, so if you have an end, you're monitoring the end tidal CO2. And it'd be you're like, like you cranking your car engine by hand. <laughs> yeah, it'd be really inefficient. It'd be much better if you got the engine to start. Yeah. So if you get the engine or the heart to restart, you're going to see that CO2 suddenly jump. Because you're like, oh, oh, there's so much CO2 that was at the tissues that's now coming back. Even if it's not a lot, it's a lot more than what you were doing before. Um, and so the cool thing is, end tidal CO2 can be measured continuously and it doesn't, like we don't get interference from me doing the chest compressions. And that'll be important when we talk about ECG. So I can use that to be like, oh, the CO2 suddenly went from 12 to 36. Guess what? That's probably because my patient came back. I didn't suddenly become really strong. Like that, it didn't happen where I was like, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I've I've got my second wind and now suddenly I'm doing amazing. It doesn't happen that way. So a sudden change, um, a sudden increase in in entitled CO2 indicates ROSC or return of spontaneous circulation. What are you laughing about? The, um, you're talking about like you can you don't get suddenly strong and good at chest compressions. There's a video of, I think it's like a CPR robot that um, they're in testing. Have you seen it? No. So it's. Um, but I like it. It's just like this uh, brace that goes around and it's got a kind of like a plunger looking thing yeah. that goes up and down. And it's, um, they turn it on and just like crushes the skeleton. <laughs> it's a model. But right. Just, but like the first time it yeah, just, it's just like, pounding pounding this model and destroying it and like oh that was a little too tough (laughs) oh my gosh we have to watch this later that sounds good you should maybe we'll link put yeah i'll see how i find a link to it yeah i'll put it on the podcast so the other thing you monitor is ecg or the electrocardiogram um but really really the only thing this is good for is deciding if you have a shockable rhythm or not. And that's, I don't know what well, they may say other things about that, but basically it's, it's important for deciding whether or not you need to defibrillate. 
If you don't have a defibrillator, then this probably isn't really that important. And it's not useful during CPR. You actually have to stop CPR in order to even assess the ECG. Because if you're doing chest compressions, which is the mainstay of CPR, then it's going to interfere with your ECG because the electrical, it's just, it's going to be chaos. So you won't be able to interpret the ECG unless you pause CPR for a moment. So you have to kind of weigh out the pros and cons of that. But it is important because if you have a shockable rhythm, the best treatment you can offer them is defibrillation. So if you have a defibrillator, then you should totally check the ECG once in a while. How common is it for like, like a normal practice to have a defibrillator? Mm. A lot of them won't have it. Yeah. And so what I'm telling you is if you don't have a defibrillator, it's okay. But maybe uh, prioritizing the ECG isn't that high. Like don't check the ECG frequently because yeah, no it's reason. not going to change what you do. Right. You just keep doing your CPR and hope for the best. It's a waste of time. Yeah. Well, because every time you stop chest compressions, cardiac output falls, um, which is not what you want because, you know, it goes to zero because the dead patient has zero cardiac output. Um, there are some chemical defibrillator, or, you know, basically you could give lidocaine or, like, mm, they just, they don't work as well. Defibrillator is going to be the way to go. If you have a defibrillator, then you need to find out if you should use it. Um, but that's more advanced life support stuff. So. What's like the, yeah. like the amperage of a defibrillator? The, of a defibrillator. Like the amperage voltage type deal. Um, so, oh, the amperage, well, there? I have the joules. So oh, joules, that amp- works, yeah. Okay, I was going to say, I don't know if I, I just can didn't think they would list to, that. I don't know if I can convert that to amperage. Okay, yeah, so. Do you want to know? I think it's, um, uh, what is it? It's I squared V. No, IV. It's just, no, power. Power is current <laughs> times voltage. Yes. And so I, power is. You've lost me. Power is energy over time, so that'd be... Yeah, I yeah. remember that one. Yeah. So that would be... I don't know. Yeah. To time. convert this to amperage, we can do that later. But Jules, that, I'll be able to understand that. Okay, good. So um, there are monophasic and biphasic defibrillators, so one mm. direction or there and back. And biphasic is better um, because you can use lower energy and to get the essentially a similar effect, so it's a little bit safer. Um, better outcomes with biphasic. So most, I don't even know if you can get a monophasic, like a new monophasic defibrillator. Probably it would be a challenging thing to to try to find because they're all just going to be biphasic now. So um, you use about half the energy um, if you're going to do biphasic. So this is not the kind of thing you should ever memorize. I mean, definitely you shouldn't, but even if you're doing it, um, but there are charts. So um, two to four joules per kilo is is good reference. Cool. Um, but I was wondering, is like, is it a lot of energy? Or, I mean, two so, joules is a lot of energy. So but it's fifty not a joules would amount. be like a small patient, fifty joules. Yeah, uh, hundred joules for like a medium sized patient, and one hundred and fifty joules for a big patient. Like that's a good rule of thumb, because mm-hmm. a lot of the defibrillators you can't choose like seventeen joules. It's like fifty, a hundred, a hundred. Like may, well, it might be like fifty, seventy. 100, 120, like, but they're not going to be that precise. Mm-hmm. You can't enter 37.4 joules, and yeah. that's what you want to deliver. How um, many gigawatts is it? <laughs> 30. <laughs> um, you obviously, we sometimes, if you do open chest CPR, you do internal defibrillation, and then it's it's like a tenth of that. Yeah. So you have the little paddles, and you put them right over the heart, and you... Yeah, because you don't have any resistance. Right. You don't have to go through the whole chest. Do you have to worry about like burns and stuff? Yes. Then? Yeah. Good question. That's what all the, so you know, in like the TV shows and stuff, when they get the defibrillator paddles out, 
and they they put like goo on it and then they rub it together. People think rubbing it together is like charging it. That's not a, it's not like friction. Yeah, yeah. It's not a friction thing. Um, yeah, it's but you're the putting the, the gel and exactly you're putting gel on it because the gel is supposed to improve the contact and reduce the risk of like starting a fire yeah. with this electric. But yeah, so like the fur, um, you're not supposed to use, don't use alcohol. Because a lot of times when people hook up ECGs to animals, they use alcohol to get better contact. Mm -hmm. That is flammable. Yeah. <laughs> you should avoid it. Um, please don't set your patients on fire during CPR. Well, don't set your patients patient on fire, fire ever. Like not just during they CPR, just but look never. Like they're on fire. Well, you could start a fire because then they also have like an oxygen source down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you add that to oxygen, a spark. Yeah, no, no, no. It's a dangerous situation. Um, you could absolutely start, you could create a bomb. You could turn your patient into a bomb because then the fire goes like on the inside of their um, endotracheal tube and then, whoosh, and then you burn them from the inside out. You're done this at that This is terrible. Point. Why would you do this? You wouldn't do. I'm telling you not to do. These are things to not do. Don't set your patient on fire inside out or outside in for that matter. Don't set them on fire, please. Um, okay, but open chest CPR is pretty fun. Yeah. You, you know what that is? I assume that you open their chest yeah. and then you crack the people like to say crack the chest. There's no cracking involved. Yeah. There's cutting. Ew. <laughs> yes. Um, but there's not as much bleeding because they're dead. Um, so they don't bleed as much. So do you just like grab the heart in a certain way and like kind of squeeze? Do you have a, like a, like a stress ball that you can practice here? <laughs> yeah. Heart squeezes. There is. Yeah. I mean, there isn't a specific one for this. It seems you like could, there should you be. You could use a stress like ball. Because yeah. I would think you would have to squeeze it like a certain way in order to pump it correctly. So you do want to squeeze it from apex to base. So like the pointy end of the heart towards the base, because that's yeah. the direction you want to squeeze it. Also, um, I don't know if dog and cat hearts are like people hearts. Are there four chambers and yeah. all that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty similar, actually. I mean, they're slightly different shapes yeah. and stuff, but yeah, they're, they're pretty similar. Um, so depending on how big the patient is, um, you either get one hand or two hands. Um, yeah. I was going to ask, do you want to have small hands or big hands for this? Yes. It, does, it depends on the size. Of, so we get yeah. such different size patients. Now, usually we're doing open chest CPR in larger patients because you can't get your hand in a really tiny patient. Yeah. Doesn't mean you don't open the chest. Um, the last actually um, uh, successful sort of um, did CPR on a dog that um, was referred over, had a history of some pleural effusion and it like arrested right when it got there. So we start doing CPR. The owner's like, yes, let's do CPR. And it was like, do we need to do open chest CPR? It was like a little dog, like a Shih Tzu or something like that. And, um, and they okayed doing open chest CPR. So I cut the chest open and then flipped it over. So all the fluid would flow just by gravity out. And then we did CPR there. Yeah, got I it back. I saw that video. I didn't like that. You saw that video? Not of the Shih Tzu, but oh. of another dog when you like poured all the goo out of its nose and it came oh, back yeah, to life. Oh yeah, that's so gross. Yeah, that is a good video. Um, no, this one was directly through the chest. So I cut a hole in the dog's chest. Ew. Then all the fluid came out. Then we brought it back and it came back and oh, it was actually time. fairly stable. And then we euthanized it. Oh. Yeah. He didn't really have the money for all the things it was going to take. We just didn't have time to have the in-depth conversation initially. We just had to make that decision. Um, so yeah, we had a successful, but we didn't do internal cardiac massage. That was just like cut a hole in the chest to drain everything out. Because if you try to do like a thoracocentesis, you can't do that while doing CPR. So, um, so that was kind of a, a messy thing, but, um, but it, it worked, it went well. Um, what was the last open chest I did before that? But yeah. Um, so you basically just cut a hole in between a couple of the ribs and then they have finished shadows. It's a special, um, instrument where you put that in between and they're called rib spreaders. It sounds like a, like a mortal combat finished shadow. <laughs> yeah. What rib is it? spreader. Yeah. Uh, what was it called? Uh, not, what is it? Perfect. Flawless, flawless victory. victory. That's what I was trying to think of. Um, 
Yeah, so there's the finichetto chop. Flawless. You, you got a sound effect for this? No, I'm just getting sound effects ready for oh, later. Okay. I just remembered because like, oh, I should get those sound effects. It's like, I, oh, yeah. I do have some sound effects for later. Yeah. So, I mean, here's the other thing that people should know about open chest CPR. If you are not in a facility where you can do open chest CPR or have somebody that could follow that up with like, a, you know, to clean it, like if you get them back, you now somebody to has to close fix that. the chest. Yeah, you need to know what you're doing. And if you're not capable of doing it, that's okay. Just don't offer it. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, you need just, to have somebody just say, hey, this isn't a thing we can do. Do opposite. Yeah. Now that I've made a mess of this, I need you to yeah. fix it. But I, I saved the patient's life. I need you to not screw it up from here. Thank you. <laughs> Surgeons love that. Um, so anyway, like don't feel bad if you are in a situation doing CPR and you don't have all the things available to you. Like you, it's okay. Just be like, we did the best we could. Um, or tell the clients like, we're not able to offer these things because we just don't have the capabilities of them here. Like we're not going to be able to do open chest CPR. That's okay. Well, you haven't talked um, about the success rate. CPR yet. That was intentional. Yeah. It's not good. So it turns out. So you shouldn't out, feel bad because it's. Yeah, that's a good point. So it turns out that dying is bad for you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it carries a poor prognostic, a poor prognosis. Death is, is, and it, so I kind of, you know, it's kind of joking about this, but it's true that no matter what disease your pet has, or the and the patient has, it's the most severe form it could be. By definition, it can't get worse than that. They died. So this is like the least stressful thing I do. Everything leading up to the dying, like that's where you should be like, ah, oh, we got to get stuff done. We got to try to keep it from dying. Once it's died, it's like, okay, well, that was a bummer. Um, let's do what we can to bring it back. Sure. But like the worst that can happen is that you bring it back and then it dies again. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, it's dead. You're, you, you know, the only way you can kill it again is if you first bring it back. Yeah. So don't, don't stress about, like, your energy should really be spent on trying to prevent the animal from death. The most successful CPR is the one you didn't have to perform. Like, that's, that's the most, the, the actual CPR has a pretty crummy, do they, do they say that in this chapter? Do they talk about success rates? I didn't read the chapter. So the other thing to know. I just looked for fun words you. from it. The other thing, um, the other thing to know about CPR. I even forgot CPR, the author's name. When you're, ta- oh, shame on you. What is it? Um, Dan Fletcher and uh, Dan Manuel Fletcher. Bowler. Yeah. So Manuel the other thing Bowler. to know though about success rates is it, you have to know what you're talking about. You have to know what the, um, how the success was defined because there's a difference between ROSC or return of spontaneous circulation. And in, in a lot of studies that is successful because it's a, in a laboratory study and that's like the end point. But in a, like clients don't care if you got ROSC and then their pet died again and it never went home with them. Like the only thing yeah. they care about is did my pet come home with me alive? Do they count ones like, Oh, we got it. Like your, your Shih Tzu earlier. We got it. Yeah. Return. The, or something's like, oh, it had terrible, terrible cancer and mm-hmm. it died and we got it back from CPR. And then an it hour later again. it died again yeah. from Ex- and that's, the same that's thing that it would die from before. That's a perfect question that you have to ask. So if they are not successfully discharged from the hospital, I don't count that in a success. Yeah. There, the, again, now it depends on what you're talking about. If you just want to know what's the rate of return of spontaneous circulation, those numbers are going to be higher. But that doesn't mean squat to the pet owner who's yeah. like, great, you brought it back and then it died again. That doesn't do me any good. I never got to see my beloved pet again. Yeah. Um, so uh, you do have to be careful when you're looking at those numbers to know Okay, so yeah, this is the first sentence in this chapter. Um, Cardiopulmonary arrest in cats and dogs is a highly lethal condition. 
because yeah. you know death is deadly. Um, with rates of survival to discharge of only six to seven percent. Cool. Now, if you look at what does this one say? Guidelines and has led substantial improvements after in hospital cardiopulmonary arrest from thirteen point seven percent in two thousand to twenty two point three in two thousand nine. That's in people. Um, but if you look at um, like individual studies that talk about ROSC, those might be significantly higher than that. Yeah. But that's not good enough. So six percent with like CPR cases was the success rate. Yeah, it looks like that was better than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's honestly. It's, I mean, it's not like a mere, I mean, it's a, it's a mini miracle, but it's yeah. Six to 7% is not terrible. It goes higher if it is, um, an anesthetic related death. So if they died, um, you know, there was dog was going to get spayed and she died under anesthesia. Yeah. It goes up to about 25%. That makes sense because they didn't so. have a disease or anything. Exactly. They just got- their, their lethal disease was anesthesia Yeah, <laughs> and you can reverse that. Yeah. So, um, so the numbers go higher in those situations. Um, so a lot of it is just patient selection too right like if you have a patient that has three different terminal diseases um that maybe isn't a great one to recommend cpr in like what are you gonna you know if you have treatments that you still could do do them now before they've died don't wait until after like oh well we were gonna do this life-saving thing but you know we hadn't died yet so we thought we'd wait for him to die bring him back and then try to like no like you've probably exhausted all of your options in some of these cases so there's a difference for me for the than the patient that's like sitting in the icu and we're doing everything we can to keep it from dying and despite our best efforts it dies versus the animal that came in on emergency or we've only had it for a short while we haven't had a chance to like do the things that we think would save it and then it dies like all right let's let's keep trying because we still have some things left to do if that makes sense so anyway so don't feel bad uh, if it doesn't go well the equivalent for like a animal dnr is that a yeah we call it a dnr it's a dnr yeah (laughs) yeah it just means do not resuscitate yeah and um yeah so it's like is that something that's that's a discussion that's had immediately Mm -hmm. upon it should be yeah oh this should be a whole second podcast yeah maybe maybe it's a chapter later uh, I don't think it is. I think we've talked about it. I think we have too. Briefly. Maybe we should have an in-depth one. We'll we'll do yeah. chapter three, part B. Yeah. We'll uh, you time. should talk to some vet student about it. Okay, I'll do that. But yeah, that this would take me the entire length of our current podcast and then some to go through this because it's a super important topic though. Mm-hmm. I'll see if I can recruit a vet student to talk to me about it. Yeah. All right, what else be, you got yeah. for the CPR chapter? That's it. That's all I got. I'm That's done. That's it? So you're ready for... <laughs> The back. <laughs> it went a little further than I thought. The backwards game that we stole from ninety-two point three, whatever. K- there. K- whatever. The morning thing. The morning thing. Yeah. Is the name if of the If you show. live in Blacksburg or in Roanoke, Virginia, you may know. yeah, in the the greater the New River Valley area. All right. So <laughs> I chose the words really well, apparently, because you've said them all. Cool, but not backwards. But I not backwards. Any of them backwards. So what this game is is I'm gonna play um, a sound clip backwards. And it's, um, so the first one is CPR. I'm going to play CPR backwards and Bobby has to say it backwards. backwards and then we're going to do that backwards and see how close she was to saying CPR. This is our first time doing this. So it's probably going to be terrible. Forgive us if it's bad. All right. You ready for the first word? It's CPR. CPR. What? That's CPR backwards. Okay. You want to hear it again? Yes. One more time. Okay. All right. All right, Okay. All right. Are we going to listen to that? Yeah, give that a shot. 
see bear. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah. Hold I, the phone a little closer to your face when you do it. When I time. record it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're using my phone. But I think this. you could probably hear that. Yeah, I can do hear I it. need to play it again? Yeah, you can play it again. CBR. CBR. <laughs> sounded drunk. <laughs> CBR. <laughs> All right. That's so good. The next one is chest compressions. Oh, geez. They get harder as they go. I would say so. That yeah, sounds- CBR they- was harder. I thought it was just going to be not that hard. You thought hard. it was going to RPC? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. All right, you ready? This is chest compressions. Chest compressions. Okay. Did you get it? You're going to have to play that a couple more times. You want more? Yeah, one more. You can't laugh while you're doing it. <laughs> okay, All this right. is going to be so bad. All right, let's do it. <laughs> it sounded like it was backwards again. <laughs> Do I need to try it again? Let me try again. Yeah, okay. Okay. Right, here's the sound. Ooh. Listen. Snip sharp mix test. Snip smark is fresh. All right. Nah, this one is a you, fail. Okay, oh, I fail. All right, fine. Yeah, okay. All right, fine. All right. What's the last the one, one okay. is, I think. It's even harder. It's even harder. Okay. Electrical defibrillation. 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 I have trouble with the R, I guess. Yeah. It's a weird word. You ready? I guess. Again. One more. I don't think that's going to do it. No, it's not at all. I heard fibrillation. The fibrillation. Okay. It was too many words. It's two words. I know. It's too many. Defibrillation is like a a million syllables. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what you get for being a Can we just do, wait, can we just do defibrillation? The electrical part. Let's come on. You can try defibrillation. Are you ready? Just don't do the last half. Okay. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was way better. It was yeah. just too many syllables to keep track of. Yeah. <laughs> the two words. All right. So I get half credit for that one? No, you did pretty good. You got the CPR reel. The other two, I was like, ah. The CPR was pretty good. The, um, what was this? I don't remember what the second one was now. Chest compressions. Chest compressions. I thought that would have been easier, but no. No. That was terrible. No. You should try it. Here, you try it backwards. No, we're good. <laughs> okay. That's pretty fun, though. That was the backwards game. Backwards, backwards. I'll try to get it. Do better next time. Yeah. I only had a few minutes before. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. It's fun. It got Mm -hmm. me laughing. Hopefully you (laughs) guys enjoyed it. Um, We'll keep working on the games, but um, that's one that we enjoy listening on the radio. Like I giggle about that one quite a lot. They're always able to do it. They must screen the words. Yeah. They probably practice and stuff, Um, but that's okay. Um, It it was still fun. And uh, yeah, so... Read this chapter on CPR. 
Um, and then refer to the recover guidelines and then be on pins and needles for recover 2.0 uh, for the revamping and the updating of the recover guidelines as well. So Ooh. this is a nice overview. It's a good place to start chapter three. Don't forget what the next chapter is. And, we oh, close the book. And, then, um, and then get ready for chapter four, which is appropriately post cardiac arrest care. So um. in that six to 7% of the time when you bring them back, what are you going to do about them now? This is when the really hard part begins. So be ready. All right, we'll see you next time. Or hear you. Or, I don't know, you know. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.